Hey there, and welcome back to Cyburst, a podcast about science, popular culture, and entertainment. We're your hosts, Ella and Isabel, two science communication and sci-fi nerds steering this spaceship into the multiverse of science fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Today's episode, Naughty's Teen Media, Steminist Role Models, The Competent Girl Trope, and Aussie Media versus the International Stage. So exciting. But before that, before we begin... Let's hear some recommendations. Mm, yeah, so a few weeks ago, I went to a Thelma Plum concert. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was also my first time in Melbourne Forum. Um, Such a good venue. I just want to say that venue is stunning. Both of us went to um, Forum for the first time this year and yeah. it's so nice. It's also, it's, it's actually not that big of a venue. Yeah, it's quite to, intimate really. Yeah, compared to like other ones I've been to um but yeah anyway Thelma Plum I'm kind of obsessed with her As you at the be. moment <laughs> <laughs> I just I love her um I love her sound mm. um not just the instruments she uses but also her voice and the sorts of things she sings about um you should go listen to her stunning an Australian artist yeah we love <laughs> um speaking of artists the recommendation I have today is um someone I follow on Twitter her name is Kelly Stanford at the Lab Artist on Twitter, um, and she is a science artist. She's so Ooh. so cool. I've been following her online for a couple of years now. Um, recently, she's been into uh, realistic bee illustrations. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if you know about scientific illustrations as like a field, but it's this mm. whole thing in itself of um, yeah, visualizing mm. visualizing science and doing diagrams and oh. realistic drawings. So she's kind of started to go, or I've seen recently her going into there with like realistic bee drawings. Um, oh, cool. But she does heaps of like science communication poster creation and mm. psychom poster art, um, lots of drawings. And she's kind of like most well known for like her most accessible, I guess, um, style and recognizable. She does lots of drawings with cats standing in as scientists. <laughs> I'm just thinking of those um, cat memes. You know those science science cat. Memes? I think they might actually be <gasps> her. Like I've, really? if you're thinking about because all I can think about are her ones. Um, I'll I'm gonna tweet it about it. She's so cool. I've been following oh her God. ages. Oh Is she one of those people who also does the petri dish art? I don't think oh so. Like, no, she's no, more like she's, drawing. Yeah, she's like okay. definitely a drawing mm, um, mm. version of visual medium. Wow, cool. I have to go check her out. She's so cool. But yeah, I love um, cats as like these representations of scientists mm. um, that just makes it really accessible <laughs> and yeah. visual. Talking about representations of scientists. Mm. Ooh, very exciting stuff where we're going to go in this episode. Before we begin, it's super important to both of us that we acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first scientists and scientists from the longest continuous culture on Earth. Cyburst would like to acknowledge the lands on which we record, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. We'd also like to pay our respects to traditional elders, past, present, emerging and future. So Isabel, we've all heard that you can only be what you see, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And role models are super necessary to heighten our feelings of um, what we think is achievable and we yeah. can only, you know, be what we see represented. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty well known, and I feel like we both experienced this um, in the media that we consume, that there is significantly less female representation in media of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, women's as, women's? <laughs> of women as intelligent or scientifically minded, um, or if they are, like, positively framed in these ways too. Um, yeah. So it's super hard growing up to, you know, as a girl, see yourself as a scientist. Yeah, even just seeing them as a lead 
can be rare. Yeah, just like not being the secondary character. Yeah, exactly. The assistant. Super trickle. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when we, you know, don't get this representation, when we don't see ourselves reflected, or you know, the potential of ourselves reflected, um, I think that really, really contributes to how women are underrepresented in STEM. And we see this at um, yeah. high school science classes. We see this in universities. We see this in workplaces. Mm-hmm. But we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about. <laughs> You know, bad representation of women in STEM I, in mm-hmm. movies and media. I feel like that's... Well, we will a little bit. We will a little bit. But I think actually we've seen in media that we grew up with, you know, the start of a really, really cool thing. Yeah, I think we've picked a really good period in time of media to look at. Because I do, th- I honestly think it is, it marks the start of something really positive. The start of something new, you might say. Oh, the start of something new. Ah! <laughs> love that reference and you know where that reference is from only the greatest film trilogy of all time that would be high school musical (laughs) which i believe after 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 after, (laughs) i did it again (laughs) after after re-watching it Mm. i think is a steminist masterpiece and gabriella montez is a literal queen Absolutely agree, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. So in this film, being good at STEM is actually not portrayed as an unattractive or undesirable thing, as it is in so many other media. I think. Yeah, no, fully. And I don't think I realized this until we started talking about it. Yeah, well, actually, it's really funny because I suggested High School Musical, ironically. As an episode idea. And I was like, no, but wait, it's <laughs> but actually on. perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so STEM is not portrayed as unattractive or weird or incompatible with good social skills. Mm. And Gabriella Montez is a very good example of this. Can we can we jump into talking about what the movie is? Like, what if what if some listeners, for some reason, haven't seen you High think School they Musical? I think we should do a <laughs> recap. Uh, oh god how do we explain so it high school musical is a trilogy um i re- realized very recently from a friend who told me it's the same plot repeated three times um in <laughs> i mean they're probably not wrong. Film. they're not wrong <laughs> as i realize but it's you know it's a movie a movie trilogy set at high school in america it's about these people who you know are kind of just like understanding themselves and understanding their hobbies and their likes and what they want to pursue yeah it's definitely like a teen teen drama coming of age. It's like a romance. Yeah. It's a cute boy meets girl. It's a musical. It's a musical. We love it. There are so many so many positives to High School Musical and I think it really like had a cultural grip on our age group growing oh, up. On our generation, for sure. 100%. For sure. So if you haven't seen High School Musical, um, Go watch it. there's not really going to be that many spoilers, I don't think, so we're mainly talking about themes, but just watch it for yourself, you know? Watch it for yourself and then message us as to how it how it positively impacted your life. Um and how okay. much yeah. yeah, what your favorite songs are. Except for those that small group of people who do not like musicals and really do not like this film. Those people exist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Unfortunately. No, but you do you you can like what you like. Yeah, you can like what you like, but you should like this. Um anyway, so Gabriella Montez is one of the main characters. She's the main female character yeah. in this film. And she's just transferred from another school. Is it from another state? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Anyway, at this previous school, she was seen as the quote-unquote freaky math girl. And so she doesn't want to be that again in this new school. 
And we and see this so in like her establishment of character, right? Like the first yes. time we see her on screen, she's like, knows in a book, doesn't yeah. want to go to a party. Yeah. Typical, you know, nerdy, I guess, introduction. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't stay typical for very long, I don't think. No. Well, I honestly, the minute she gets pushed, pushed on the stage. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Like minute four of the film? Like, yeah, it's really changed. early. But you yeah. see, like, she's also really good at singing. It's She's not just a, like, nerdy math science girl. Yeah, like, she has more than one dimension. What? Wow. Female characters can have that in movies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Female characters can be complex. Women can be complex. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so because she was seen as this freaky math girl at the previous school she sort of anticipates that mm. um in her new school which actually doesn't happen really i think that's such an interesting insight for us um as viewers watching it being like yeah. we're expecting these connotations of freaky math girl to hit um same as yeah. she is and we really don't see that reflected at all throughout the film no it's no. kind of like gives us a really believable way to suspend our disbelief um, at least in that aspect. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I was talking to Elle earlier and saying there was actually a lot more hate on the drama club than there was on <laughs> science in the film. Like drama club being the, the yeah, like outcast of the school. Yeah, and baking as well. They have a problem with one of the basketball players being a baker. Um, Anyway. As someone who <laughs> bakes a lot in their life, I would like to say nobody has a problem with how much I bake because <laughs> everyone gets baked good. So I don't really understand that drama. Come on, Disney. And so one of the characters does call her an Einsteinette in one of the scenes just briefly. And in other movies, maybe that would have been a negative mm. thing. But it's actually the way that he says it is like a compliment. And um, that's super key, right? Yeah. I love that. Um, she's not defined by her smartness, as we just talked about. She wears cute clothes, has cute hairstyles. She's... Like someone that um, Disney want you to be. Yeah. They're not making her, you know, undesirable, unattractive. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, look how cool she is. She's, you know, dresses cute. She's intelligent. She has yeah. friends, like mm -hmm. really good friends too. Yep. Um, good at performance. Yeah. Good at basketball, apparently. Too. Yeah. Just <laughs> what cannot, what can this girl not do? <laughs> um, very independent. Yeah. She actually makes decisions in a very logical way. And rationally. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess she's like, because she does all these things, right? She's not defined by any one of them. No. I just love her. <laughs> I just love her and I want to be her. <laughs> and then her best friend. Oh my God, her best friend. Can we take a minute to talk about Taylor McKessie? Yeah, let's talk about her. Okay. So speaking of like supportive friends, and I really love supportive friendship especially supportive female friendships to play like just yeah. depicted through film mm -hmm. um like they're the both of these girls taylor and gabriella they're both super intelligent and they're not competitive with each other like always trying to get a leg up over each other so you know taylor is the head of the science club when we first you know encounter her mm -hmm. um she encourages gabriella to make decisions for herself yeah um such as uni such as not being defined by a boy such yep. as thinking through her choices yeah and yeah, I think Taylor is this really great character who's really mm -hmm. determined um, and is also really, really true to herself. She kind of is, in one sense, the smart girl stereotype, um, you know, standard brainiac. Yeah. But even though she's a secondary character, like she's not the lead, we still see so much more from her, like being a great friend, um, being really resourceful. You know, she can be a bit manipulative and, okay, maybe more than a bit manipulative. <laughs> you know, she's the source of one of the major conflicts. It's okay. She redeems herself. 
within um, especially the first film. Yeah. But it's super interesting watching her arc throughout the trilogy mm. because Taylor becomes, you know, more more herself. Like she starts to express herself um, and the mm. direction she wants to go in in life. She, yeah, transitions away from just like this, like stock standard intelligent character to someone who's like really driven and business oriented and knows where she wants to go and yeah not doesn't take no for an answer but just like is really determined and that in itself is not seen as a bad thing mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you know she's not she's not being like um oh my god what are all those criticisms when it's like if you're a girl you're bossy but oh. if you're a guy you're assertive i think she's portrayed as assertive yeah. she's not portrayed as bossy like i think it's actually shown really positively i think i agree with where you. and how she's driven and motivated yeah, yeah, I think so. And Which, she she doesn't let anything hold her back for what she for where she wants to go, and and she encourages other girls to do the same. Yeah, like she's she does. um kind of like the definition of like women lifting up and supporting other women. Yeah, and you know that um that presentation she gives to Gabriella in the first film <laughs> where she she's like I mean she's not doing it for good reasons. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, she's very selfishly motivated. Um, shows Gabriella a whole bunch of like key women in STEM throughout history mm. um, or just important women in general in history. And it's, yeah, trying to use that to lift up other other women who, who are good at STEM and want to go into STEM. Yeah, I also think from, if we take a step back from like the plot of the film and yeah. like as, as viewers, we know that Taylor is not doing a good thing. But if you step inside <laughs> her brain, she genuinely thinks she's helping out Gabriella. Yeah. She's like, this boy is holding she you does. back. He's mm-hmm. not letting you reach your full potential. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you like singing that much. <laughs> like, from what I know about you, this is where I think you need to go and I'm going to help you to do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's wrong. There's more to Gabriella than even she knows at this point in time. Yeah. Um, but I think it comes from a place of love and that's what makes it redeemable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't I'd recommend so. manipulating your friends like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I do... I do recommend major character growth and development, which is what we mm-hmm. see from Taylor mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that. So that was actually quite a lot of, you know, character driven stuff, but also quite a lot yeah. of plot. Can we talk about how yeah. science is such a big part of the plot? In oh High School Musical? my gosh. I have so much to say about this. <laughs> Please say some <laughs> things about this. Okay. So science is a major part of the plot in High School Musical in several different ways. Um, one of those ways is like we were just talking about that presentation Taylor gives to Gabriella Montez, where she's using mm. science to draw Gabriella away from the musical and distraction. Yeah, like as a distraction and away from her boyfriend. Can we call her, him her boyfriend? I, I saw this know. really interesting, um, not criticism, I was on TV tropes, which if you ever just want to, you know, dive headfirst into media, looking at the tropes in films that you enjoy or like super interesting. Um, and this one was talking about how um, Gabriella sings about breaking up with her boyfriend after only dating him for a week. <laughs> and then 15 minutes later, takes him back <laughs> in the world of the film, um, which is something I'd never quite clocked before. But oh yeah, um, long story short, I guess you can call Troy her boyfriend. Yeah, right. There are whole debates about this because they never confirm it on screen. But we're not going to get into that. Tea isn't tumultuous. Because we want to focus on science. <laughs> 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 anyway... Another way it's a key part of the plot is Troy and Gabriella's secret meetup place is the science club garden. How romantic is STEM? (laughs) (laughs) 
they managed to make like they use it as a distraction they manage to make it romantic they use it as part of the solution i want someone to distract romance me and give me a solution in the science garden please (laughs) (laughs) oh what do we want to say about the decathlon let's just talk about the decathlon how fun that that's the the climax of the film yeah and the decathlon is seen as equally as important as a major basketball game Yes. Oh my gosh, that's right. Because I feel like often in movies and in media and, you know, lots of teen content we consume, especially from America, Mm. sports games are given kind of like Mm. this massive pedestal and everything is secondary to that. Yeah. Well, it's also usually used as the key event in high school, right? Um, But yeah, they, they equally split between the big basketball game and the big science decathlon sharing the stage if you will (laughs) (laughs) also something interesting we found Mm. about it is in gabriella's the high school is called east high i realized we didn't mention that before Um, it's crucial you know the east high wildcats (laughs) yeah (laughs) on their team it's mainly women yeah right it's mainly um girls so three, three out, out of the out five. five. Yeah. yeah, and then two of them are boys. But then on the other team, it's one of them is a girl. And the other four are guys. Yeah. And I feel um, like that's that's kind of a more typical ratio that we've um come to accept and come to yeah. Yeah, expect. So I really like the shakeup in it. We were looking through the film and I was like, wow, look how many of, you know, the good team, the protagonist team are women. That's super, super I know, important and impactful and yeah. powerful, even in such a small way. Mm-hmm. And also, it, not just that it's sh- showing more representation of women, but also the diversity yeah. in general of it. Like, um, like well, it's not just one white woman. Yeah, exactly. Gabriella Montez is Filipino. Love. Uh, yeah, that's another cool thing about her. Um, yeah, multifaceted. So we have three out of five um, girls in this team. Yeah, three out of five of these scientists on the team are girls. Yeah. They're also a diverse team. And I think with this, Disney's kind of saying, like, diversity is success. And yes. having having an interdisciplinary yeah, um, because they team do of win backgrounds is what you need. Yeah. Yeah. They do end up winning the decathlon. And another reason I wanted to mention the decathlon is because... Um, let's backtrack a little bit. Okay, let's so, go back. <laughs> so... Um, the major conflict in the film is, well, apart from the whole Troy Gabriel thing, um, <laughs> <laughs> the it's essentially like everything happening at once, right? By design of the villain. Yeah, do we we can call Sharpay the villain? I think, she's she's right? the antagonist in this film. Antagonist, that's a better word. Yeah, yeah, she manages to get the events rescheduled so that the bas- the big basketball game and the big decathlon event happened at the same time, which means that... um, As callbacks. It's all three of those things happening at the same time. Yeah, that's right, which means that they're not able to attend the singing callbacks. Yeah. First of all, they can't support each other in what the other's doing. Second of all, (laughs) they can't go do the thing they want to do together. And it's kind of saying, like, choose a side, choose a side. And that's something that this film... is kind of the whole message is you don't have to. Yeah, um... And so science is used as the way of resolving this. As a solution. As a solution in multiple <laughs> ways. So the number one, um, mm-hmm. not the number one, the first way is um, 
Taylor and Gabriella managed to get everybody to evacuate the <laughs> the lab by setting off some like stinky reaction. I don't know what it is, but I don't know how they did that during a decathlon and everyone just let them. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Uh, plot hole. <laughs> we're just gonna ignore it. Move on. It makes the film more perfect. I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, mm. So that's first way, and then the second way is more of a like computer science way yeah. where Taylor hacks into the basketball scoreboard system and manages to like freeze the clock again she pulls out her laptop in the middle of this academic decathlon yeah just you know hacks into the mainframe <laughs> <laughs> i'm in um, uh, but i also love that it's the women doing that yeah too. so that is how science is part of the solution in this film love again love. interdisciplinary problem solving i mean that's kind of what science and like education is all about right Mm-hmm. is um, ways in which you can be creative and problem solve based on the skill set you have and the types of problems you're about to encounter or likely to encounter. Yep. Which we love. Um, can I take a moment yes. to talk about the one or the only sane one trope? Go for it. Okay. So I spoke about tropes a little bit earlier. Again, super fascinating if you want to get into kind of like media studies or you just want to pick mm-hmm. apart, um, you know, entertainment for fun, which – Definitely we do as we're sitting here at this uh, I mean. science and popular culture podcast. So kind of like one of the main themes of this film is, you know, it starts off in a school where they're like, pick one thing. You have to stick to the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't play basketball and bake. You can't mm-hmm. um, be intelligent and do hip hop dancing. Mm-hmm. You can't play basketball and want to sing. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous, right? Mm. Um, as the viewer, we're all like, of course it's not ridiculous. It's called having hobbies, plural. <laughs> um and Troy and Gabriella are portrayed as the only sane ones who recognize that there is more to life than having one thing that defines you. Mm. And everyone else in the school thinks that they're crazy. And I think that's also one of the things that drives them together is they recognize the saneness in each other of, you know, expecting humans to be multidimensional. Yep. Um, and I think that's a really cool and positive thing to portray your protagonists as having and as recognizing yeah yeah for sure yeah so I I just want to talk about that um and how nice it is to see Mm -hmm. um you know kind of like the diverging of paths and it being okay rather than everyone congregating on having like only cheerleaders run the school (laughs) (laughs) which I think a lot of a lot of other teen dramas kind of fall into is everyone has to be good at this one one thing because that's central to the plot like this plot is no it's okay to be great at Lots yeah. of things, yep. Um, you know, singing kind of being the thing that brings everyone together because it's a musical and that fits the form and the style. Yeah. I also want to talk about transitions into competent girls, this trope that we see kind yeah. of coming out of this period of film. Yeah, so this is the big boy transition I think we see happen in noughties, yeah. noughties media. We start to see that it's um, not only okay, like not only tolerated, but there's this mass acceptance of girls being competent mm-hmm. in film mm-hmm. um, and of, of kind of like growing in and blooming into that competency, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And as, as part of this, we see that there are multiple ways of being intelligent if you are described as intelligent. Like you're not just like, you know, the freaky maths girl, but <laughs> you have like a whole range of intelligence if that's your character. Um, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I guess kind of in this, we see that there are multiple ways of being a scientist or being in a woman in STEM. Yeah. Um, 
or just a person in STEM. And mm-hmm. not, not all of these images are good, mm. but at least it's portraying that it's just more than one thing. Yeah. Because for so long, this was kind of mm-hmm. shoehorned into one area and the exactly. noughties is where we see it kind of bloom out and become like this great colourful thing. Yeah, like I said before, women in STEM were typically in the past just assistants. Yeah. Um, and there were sort of one, one or two major stereotypes helpless and dependent on men as well (laughs) so it is very very satisfying to see this this sort of trend emerge yeah and um we are about to launch into a super exciting kind of we've started off a high school musical because i think we both uh feel that that is the best example yeah i think it is early women in stem in the noughties um, but there are so many films where this happens, right? Like the, yeah. the second film you thought of. Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Ooh, let's talk about Mean Girls. Right okay. Now. Mean Girls is not, it, it's not as positive as High School Musical. But it does represent that shift. Yeah, I think so. Because, um, should I explain what Mean Girls, <laughs> what Mean Girls is about? We can just be like, you know, everyone knows Mean Girls. It's that cult classic early noughties film about trying to fit in. Yep. Trying to fit in and seeing yourself become the the thing that you disliked. Also, fun fact, we're recording on a Wednesday. <gasps> and my jumper is pink. And I'm not wearing pink. Oh, your uh, puffer jacket's kind of pink. <laughs> if you got that reference, I love you. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, Isabel. <laughs> uh, I love you too. Okay. So Katie is the main character in Mean Girls and she's been homeschooled most of her life so mm. this film is sort of her first time being in a high school and seeing that environment and seeing that environment so she very much doesn't like get it in the beginning <laughs> and the whole film is about her like figuring out how to fit in which leads her down pathways that she should not have gone down <laughs> That's Katie, okay. she also redeems herself in the end so so we're fine character growth yeah so her sort of thing is that she's really good at maths Mm. Um, and loves maths. And one of the quotes she says in the film is, she likes it because it's the same in every country, which is kind of true, but also kind of not. <laughs> I think that's a fun way of thinking about it, though. Well, because like the outcome of the math is the same, but how you get there is slightly different. Depending on the country you're in. Yeah, yeah math is taught slightly differently. That's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, probably even across... Australia (laughs) different Australian states yeah I mean why don't we have one education system okay moving on (laughs) um so her parents are research zoologists so she grew up surrounded by STEM surrounded by STEM good role models in Africa actually but in this film maths is sort of seen as ew um (laughs) she thinks about joining the mathletes and which is kind of similar to to Cathlon yeah and her friends tell her it's social suicide. Don't do that. And I think at first she doesn't understand, right? Yeah, because she's she's sort of like, oh, so in the beginning, it's kind of funny because in the beginning she's like, oh, but I just want to do what what like, I want to do, what I like. Then gets manipulated and doesn't do it. But then at the end, she's like, I'm just gonna do do what I want, do what I want. Yeah, yeah. But we have that the really interesting thing of her being really good at maths, being told, ew, don't do that, social suicide. And then yeah, she pretends to be. Oh, bad at maths to get the attention of the guy she likes. Yeah. Girl, what are you doing? Girl. (laughs) Very different to Gabriella. Very different to Gabriella. 
yeah, I think it's super interesting she takes that kind of negative negative geared approach to Yeah. Um, but then like one of the positive things again is her the way she dresses and she like it's it's not it's not negative either. She's just a person. She's just a person. She's just a person. Yeah. But I think So she has a similar style to Gabriella. In terms of like dress and the hair and the You still want to be her. You still see yourself in her as the audience yeah. watching. Yeah. But can we take a moment to talk about, you know, probably why maths is portrayed as negative? Yeah. Because it's not this film just decided maths was negative. Like <laughs> maths being negative and STEM being negative is kind of like a connotation that we've grown up with, even with media kind of combating it. Well, and women being into STEM as being a bad negative thing. as yeah. well. Yeah. So historically the number of fictional female scientists has been quite small. And like I said, not usually leads if they do appear in science films. Like so small that you see things like the Scully effect coming into play. Oh, yeah. We'll talk a bit about that later. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> and the stereotypes you see are also negative. They were negative from the beginning in media. Yeah. So I want to give a few examples. The first one is the old maid stereotype who is only interested in her work professionally competent but lacking in quote-unquote femininity meaning she is undesirable i hate both of those things being put (laughs) together so much yep uh a second really con one is the naive expert Mm. which is someone who's emotionally and ethically driven believing in goodness but keeps getting into bad situations um, and is rescued by a man each time from those situations. Yeah, as if being, you can only be good at one of two things, either being a woman, which is attracting men, or science. Yeah. And this is kind of like you've chosen science, so not quote-unquote femininity. Yeah. And then a third really common one is the evil plotter or what I call the femme fatale Mm. scientist who's... um, Woman in STEM who's sexually attractive but corrupt and uses their attractiveness to steal information or trick an opponent. You just can't really win if you're a woman in these situations, can you? Nope. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so these these stereotypes are still usually adult women. I'd um, hope so. I really don't like um, sexualization of teenagers or younger yeah. yeah, I mean, you do see that in Mean Girls. Yeah. Oh, that's the one thing we forgot to say about High School Musical is they don't sexualize any of the characters either. You know what? I never realized that, but that is so true. And I hate that yeah. we have to look out for that. And that's a positive because so many <laughs> things don't do that. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, yeah. Mm. So those, those portrayals are usually adult women who young girls see but also can't see themselves in. It's like too many steps away, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I that's where those portrayals have then trickled into younger female portrayals, I guess, as well. And teen years is a really important time to be seeing that yeah. good representation, like diverse kind of in, representation. Kind of like in High School Musical, it's like, you know, coming of age is such a popular genre because it is such a key time for people. Like yeah. you're figuring yourself out. You want to know what you can do, where you can go, how mm-hmm. you're going to get there. Yeah. Um, 
so you want to see something achievable, something that's not like, you know, a 40 year old femme fatale, but you know, <laughs> like someone that's you in like maybe, you know, five years max time that you, you know, see as an achievable, yeah, you know, representation of self that you could become. Yeah. And teen media is so important because of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later on. Oh my goodness. Um, and we still get these negative portrayals, obviously, like Mean Girls. There's another one that I'll talk a little bit about later on. But it's mainly changing. Which is so positive. Which so is positive. really good. Let's, um, can we talk about Kim Possible? Yes. Let's talk Ooh, about Kim Possible. Cartoon example. Cartoon example. So again... Um, another example, early early teen media, we're now turning to cartoons. So, you know, you can't quite replicate everything about her, but for that age group, she's real. Um, yeah. And it's something that you can believe in. And even though it's kind of like a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of sci-fi um, genre, I think it still hits most of those coming-of-age categories. Mm. Um, Kim Possible as a character is portrayed as hyper intelligent and hyper competent like mm. she she can do it all and i think she is such a positive role model that she came to mind immediately when we started thinking about this and i was like you know what i don't even remember if she was good at science i just remember her being so competent <laughs> that i can't imagine she wouldn't be yeah i didn't watch much of kim possible but my my brain seems to think it was more the engineering side is that correct I don't know. Don't trust me. No. <laughs> uh oh, okay. I'm very wrong. Apparently, um, she's kind. Of, she's kind of like a you know, uh, lives a double life. Is a is a bit of a secret super spy. So there's lots of like action adventure film, um, films genres, mm. um, within it. Kim actually, Kim Possible, the character. Her parents are scientists. Her uh, brothers are scientists. Okay. In her family, she is seen as the least scientifically minded of them, and oh. yet she is. No, like notable and like notably mm -hmm. um, really, really good. She gets into a really cool science school um, in the episode Graduation Part 1. She applies for and receives acceptances to nearly every single prestigious higher learning oh, institute in the damn. world. In the world. Like that's how mm. capable she is. And yet it also- Only in the world. What about the universe? I know. <laughs> but like she's so capable and that's just like a, almost a throwaway. Like, oh yeah, she can also do STEM. Like, oh yeah. She's also a cheerleader and makes time for that. And she makes time for her friends. And she's also mm -hmm. a spy. And mm -hmm. she balances it all. Yeah. Like, how positive. That's I'm, really good. And she's the protagonist. Like, she's not a secondary character. Her name is the title of the show. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is a good point, actually. Yeah. I'm just really excited. By that is just, like, even a small example of the change that we start to see in the early noughties. Yeah. Early 2000s. Cool. I feel like I need to go and watch more Kim Possible now. Um, <laughs> that can be arranged. <laughs> um, another cartoon example. Yeah, let's go there. SpongeBob. SpongeBob? Okay, well, not SpongeBob, but like the show. Mm -hmm. um, Sandy Cheeks, who's oh. the squirrel in it. Iconic. Um, she's very much <clears throat> this astronaut image of women in STEM because she wears this astronaut suit because she's just, obviously she's a squirrel underwater. Like a deep space suit. Yeah. Kind of like imitating that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, squirrel, so has to wear that. <laughs> she's, not a, she's not a sea creature. <laughs> no, um, she, but she's a scientist and inventor. Mm. And she actually came to 
bikini bottom to study sea creatures and their lifestyle, which is kind of cool. She's a marine biologist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A squirrel meme marine biologist. <laughs> Sorry, that's really funny to think about. <laughs> like, get it, Sandy. You pursue that talent. You pursue that passion. Yeah. Um, so she's she's awesome. There's also a literal computer called Karen. Um, <laughs> yeah, who's her own character in her own right. Super intelligent, right? Yeah. She's supposed to be, like, probably the most intelligent in the show, I think. Because she's, she's the wife of the, like, evil dude. Yeah, we see her as kind of, like, the most logical character because she's kind of got, like, all those connotations of being a supercomputer. Like, her brain is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so... There it is again, some really positive. So that's two examples we've seen in SpongeBob, which I'd argue is one of another one of like a really big cultural phenomenon of media in mm. our age group. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Another another cartoon example from me. Um, probably I'd say this is maybe less influential than SpongeBob, very similar potentially to Kim Possible. Mm. Um Danny Phantom? Mm-hmm. Uh Danny Phantom cartoon show about uh parents being Ghost Hunter's son is ghost. (laughs) Um, Love the tension, love secret identities. I think that's super fun to plot. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about Danny Phantom's mum. Her name is Maddie Fenton. Love the wordplay. Danny Phantom, family name Fenton. Um, Super cute. Wait, so Danny is a phantom but not a Fenton? No, he is a Fenton is his last name. He's a phantom because he's a ghost. He's a phantom Fenton. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> Go, Isabel. <laughs> um, so his mum is known as the, the best scientist in her family. Um, you know, she's an inventor. She studies paranormal activity, which in mm-hmm. this universe is science because it happens. Yep. Yeah. So that's, that's the world that we're in. Ooh, she's like cool. the co-owner of this ghost hunting science yeah, company, and she's also Danny Phantom's mum, so she is a multifaceted character. Um, but again, yeah. hyper-intelligent, seen as really capable, more capable than um, the dad, the father. Um, Interesting. He has the same job as her, and yet she's the one who gets it right every time. He can never use any equipment. Interesting. She's got it on lock. <sighs> and I love that portrayal. Like, it's just a small example, yeah. and, you know, she's not the lead character, but she's pretty crucial to the plot. Mm, I actually think it's... a. Um Really interesting character because it, you don't usually see mums. Is anything other this, than mums? Yeah. Well, in these type of shows. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. It's really cool. Cool. I uh, Yeah, I love it. Like, they didn't have to do that. And I think the show is so much better because it did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just, yeah, a really small example. But I think, again, positive in its own small way. Love it. Yeah, so that those are a few cartoon examples. Um, but I want to talk about another um, relatively big show. I'd say relatively big. I think everyone at least knows about it, even yeah. if they haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, that one is Zoe 101. <gasps> Classic. Cue the theme song. It's now in my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so Quinn is one of the main characters in it. And she... I would say she's she's on the engineering side, um, but she is betrayed as the weird one. <clears throat> so this is kind of a negative mm. example. She's got this quirky hair, 
twerky outfits, glasses, called a spaz. Uh-oh, I don't like that at all. Mm, made fun of a lot Totes by various program. characters. She could be an example of the naive expert. Yeah, okay. Um, where she's, she's very much emotionally, ethically driven and, and creates inventions to help people and to solve problems, but then they usually end up bad mm. and failing. Uh, fun fact, she calls her inventions Quinventions. I love that. Good name. <laughs> um, but on the positive end, she's also really good at basketball. Get it. And teaches her love interest as well. How to play basketball. How to be better at oh. it. Yeah. <laughs> love. So, yeah, but there is still there, even though it's mainly negative, there is some positive aspects. Yeah, and I think positive aspects are, you know, can be few and far between, but at least there are some. Yeah. Which is good. Um, mm-hmm. Another example of similar media, this one definitely wasn't as big as Zoe 101. Um, it's actually a Canadian show. I didn't realise until I looked it up, um, but it was called oh. Naturally Sadie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else remembers this. I watched it a few times as a kid um, and it kind of stuck with me. And I was like, oh, when we were researching for this podcast, I was like, oh, I wonder if anything applies there. Because to be honest, I don't really remember a lot from the show. Um, but yeah, Naturally Sadie had like three seasons. Um, it follows the main character, Sadie Hawthorne. And she's super interested in nature and the behaviors of animals. So she's very much science focused, biology focused. And really wants to know how it integrates with people. So I think the show is oh. her trying to analyze humans. Yeah. Um, very much from that scientific perspective. Hmm. Which I think is super cool. Um, because like she's just following her passion. Yep. Um, another competent girly. Another competent girly in STEM, just doing her thing. Um, and I think it's actually a really cool thing to base the premise of the TV show around. Like that is the premise. That's not just, you know, an element of her. The whole show is her trying to work out what does happen naturally and what can Mm -hmm. she learn about the world as she learns about the world in a different way. Like how can she apply her, you know, biology, science learnings to also her life and also the people around her. Hmm. Um, Yeah, this was one I hadn't really heard of before until you brought it up as an idea. I was surprised to see it so STEM-oriented. Um. Big fan. Thank you. Thank you to Canada for producing that one. <laughs> Nickelodeon? Was it Nickelodeon? Was it Disney? Yeah, I think it was a Nickelodeon one. Mm. I think this next one, though, Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> this is one that we were like, does it apply? Is this, is women in STEM? Is this? And yes. Yeah, so I actually think this is a really interesting example. Yeah, pretty multi layered. So. We're going to talk about Jimmy Neutron Whoa. for a minute. Um, focusing on Cindy Vortex. So, first of all, such a cool name. <laughs> they all have pretty cool names yeah. in the show and film. Yeah. Plural? A, I'm not there's sure. There's at least one film. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, so on the surface, Cindy is definitely betray- portrayed as a bossy, stubborn, arrogant, mean, spoiled child child like baby (laughs) in general um Mm. she's the second smartest kid in the class because jimmy is apparently the smartest um but when you look deeper into it there's actually reasons for her 
being this way. Yeah, they didn't just be like, let's make a mean character for the point of it. Yeah. They were like, there's reasons. This is why it's complex. People. Yeah. Yeah. So number one, she gets a lot of pressure from her mother to be perfect. Mm. Um, So she's actually not just good at STEM, but also has lots of extracurricular activities like karate. She's really good at that. (laughs) I mean, another example of Um, if you're intelligent in one way, you're intelligent in other ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And also has an absent father, which is also kind of like briefly mentioned, kind of touched on. Same with Gabriella Montez though, right? It's the same, which is kind of interesting too. Kind of interesting. Um, Yeah. Oh, hang on. (laughs) There's also something else I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. She's also this way because she's struggling with this frustration of being compared to Jimmy and like her being second and not she can never really be first and that the boy is number one um I also watched this really interesting episode it's okay it's Mm -hmm. weird because it's this crossover between Jimmy Neutron and Fairly Odd Parents but we're not going to get into that (laughs) I love Fairly Odd Parents (laughs) um and so Timmy, who's the main character from Fairly Odd Parents, ends up in the Jimmy Neutron world. Um, and he asks Cindy if she will help her with this science project. Mm. And she's surprised that a boy has asked her for help. help because she expects, I guess, expects it to be the other way around. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. I think too. we're led to believe that as a, you know, you know, culturally. Yeah. So interesting to see it reflected here. Yeah. So rawly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, clearly Cindy has a lot more going on than what's what's shown on the surface. But at the same time is is very true to her her female self. Like she she wears pink, she's got a hair and pigtails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's really interesting how we can have these depictions of women and scientists and in this in this case they're not really side by side. Like she struggles to reconcile with them. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that is super interesting. I think it is too. I think it's also super interesting when these ideas of femininity, quote unquote, and, you know, Mm. science or STEM aren't acknowledged at all, but they're there. Yeah. So jumping into um, another Nickelodeon show, Drake and Josh, Mm, um, (laughs) you know, it's again, another, you know, teen coming of age, very much um, comedic uh, live action television show about two stepbrothers who, you know, clash heads, try to make things work, <laughs> falls apart, they've got their lives going on. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> their, <laughs> their little sister, <laughs> Megan, mm. um, played by Miranda Cosgrove. Miranda Cosgrove. I always say Miranda Sings. <laughs> uh, played by Miranda Cosgrove, is an absolute antagonist. And that is yeah. so much, that is so vocally acknowledged by those two and you know she gets away with it all she's very much kind of like that archetype of the the younger irritating sister or the younger (laughs) irritating sibling even I don't even think that's yeah like necessarily a gender thing which I think is cool in this instance yeah I was gonna say I actually think it's kind of cool that she's she's never caught (laughs) (laughs) she just gets yeah yeah it just goes to plan for her not for them it ruins them and it makes us it's always over for them yeah (laughs) I think it's really interesting that she is, you know, just kind of a little sibling trying to ruin her big sibling's day. Yep. Classic. Um, and she often does this in really, really 
um, inventive Creative. and innovative ways. Yeah. Um, such as like, you know, rigging up like this whole system to like pour paint on them or, you know, a whole bunch of other, you know, machines. And it's very um, kind of engineering focused. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of them, even though they do like ridiculous things to them, like, I don't know, spill marbles, make them jump around or wake them up by like a ridiculous amount of alarm clocks. <laughs> like it's kind of just like the things she does are funny, but how yeah. she does them. They're intelligent. Is intelligent. Yeah. And that in the show is never really acknowledged. Like it's never really acknowledged that she's probably like a child genius in this really, really weird yeah. and kind of unfulfilling way, I guess, in terms of academia. Yeah. And I mean, she is portrayed as the antagonist, but also in a humorous way. Yeah. You know, like it's not too, too bad. Well, it's, it's just um, kind of an unfocused antagonism. And yeah. all the focus is just making their days a little worse. <laughs> And her day a little better. It's not... Kind of feel sorry for them, not going to lie. It's not leading to the good of humanity or anything. Mm. Um, yeah, and I just thought, what a what a bizarre representation, but actually kind of what a good one. Like, the more we normalise this, yeah, the more people are going to think this is, yeah, average, not like average behaviour, but achievable. Like, if Megan can do it and she's just trying to cause a little bit of chaos, <laughs> like, what can I do if I want to do something yeah. really cool with supportive people? Mm. Mm. which is awesome yeah so there you go another competent girly what's our competent girly count i don't know many so many (laughs) (laughs) so we've talked a lot about american and canadian shows yeah and films and and ella and i really wanted to include at least one australian example (laughs) Which was hard to find, not going to lie. It was hard to find. And this this TV show immediately came to mind. And, you know, we kind of struggled. We thought there were examples where they weren't, which I think is interesting. Like where we thought there would be examples and where there actually are examples. Yeah. Uh, can you guess what this show is? I'll give you a hint. Emma! <laughs> <laughs> the condensation! <laughs> that's perfect. I promise, David, that's for you. I promise you I'd do it. <laughs> um... H2O just add water. The best, the Iconic. best Australian teen show ever made, in my opinion. I <laughs> rinsed and repeated that show growing up. <laughs> so did I. So did I. Um, the remake, not good. What remake? <laughs> we just we just don't acknowledge Mako Mermaids. Okay. No, 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 no. No. Um, yeah. So we kind of tossed and turned about whether the the girls in it count as STEM characters. Not sure. Yeah, like the main girls, they are kind of in and around like this marine park. Yeah. Um, they obviously know a little bit about aquatic life because they are aquatic life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they also, you know, there's some kind of cool things with their, their powers of like heating and cooling and properties of water. And water is a really yeah. fascinating element. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Also, they're mermaids, if you didn't know that. Yeah. That's kind that's of important. Really important to address, I guess. <laughs> uh, but the villain in season one is a scientist. Let's go. Is a woman in STEM. So so not, not a teen girl. We want to say mid to late 20s, yeah. I think. Uh, her name is Linda Denman. Get it, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> um, also a side character. So, She's only in three episodes. Yeah. And I think it's kind of only like the second half. Oh, no. Maybe one at the beginning of the season and 
and then like the last two episodes, something like that. She's kind of the antagonist of season one. Yeah. When it's not the girls themselves. <laughs> Just figuring each other out. <laughs> so I guess an important thing to mention about her is that young girls can't see themselves. She's kind of past anyway. that age where you, you know, if you're a 12 year old watching this, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to be like her when I grow up because it's, she's just a bit too far out of the age range, really. Yeah. Um, and if you do see yourself in her, she's not a good example to follow. <laughs> bit villainous, <laughs> bit unethical. Uh, so she studies a DNA sample of Cleo. Sorry, Cleo. Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are we going to do that? There's so many. <laughs> um, and so she she sees cellular, cellular mutation. Um, In Cleo's DNA. Yeah, when she adds water to it. Hey, did you just add water? Yeah, so what? she starts writing this paper and that's where the show gets its name from because the paper is called H2O Just Add Water. Oh my God, it's so meta. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, she She is... An example of that femme fatale scientist that I touched on a little bit earlier because she's she's sexually attractive to the boy. Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. Uh. <laughs> We're including all of those. Oh, no. <laughs> and so she... Mm, it's not explicitly, like, mentioned, but it's sort of hinted at in the way that the the way that the film the scenes are filmed that yeah. she's using her attraction to get Lewis to get information for her. Yeah, she is using so him. She's manipulating she him. She is definitely using him. Mm. Um yeah, not explicitly said that it's because he's attracted to her, but it's sort of implied. I mean TV show TV is a visual medium and that's yeah. definitely shown through images. Yeah. Because that's how she gets the sample in the first place, right? Is it? No. no. So I'm such a nerd. Tell me. <laughs> I, I love nerds. Tell me more. Uh, so I think it's because Lewis leaves it in the lab. Oh, because he's obsessed with her and manages to get a job. In her lab, in yeah. Linda's lab. Yeah, and he leaves a sample there and she just is like, oh, what's this? And then looks at it and then discovers more and then and then spends like the rest of the time she's in the series trying to get more information from him. And she writes the paper right, and isn't that like a plot point of them trying to make sure it doesn't get published, it doesn't go anywhere? Yeah, they try to go in and delete it and all of that. And then she traps them in the, their special cave so she can experiment on them. Totally Again, ethical. Ethics, approval <laughs> was not sought, we don't recommend. <laughs> if you find any mermaids in your life, please get ethics clearance before you experiment on them. Maybe just ask them nicely. Don't steal biological samples. <laughs> So this is probably the most negative example. Which is sad because it is our Australian because example. Because it's Australian. Mm. Um, but then also think about the numbers of women in STEM in Australia versus the United States. And that sort of makes sense. Yeah, we have we have less women in STEM in Australia than in the US, which is, is sad. We yeah. Our stats are sitting at 28%. Women in STEM in Australia, in the US, it's slightly higher at 36% um, of the STEM workforce. Yeah, and then which is mirrored in science films and science shows. Yeah, but also that 
mirroring perpetuates it. Yep, exactly. Like it's kind of like oh, a positive they, feedback loop that's super negative. They feed onto each other, really. Yeah, which is really sad to acknowledge um, how small it is. Like in Australia, that's less than a third. Significantly less than a third. And in the US, it's just over. That's the most depressing thing I've heard today. I'm so sorry. Can we bring it back <laughs> somehow? <laughs> um, we can, but not not in this section. There are, um, yeah, not incredible, incredible numbers when it comes to women in STEM in media or in the workplace and how that's shown. You want to talk about um, these surveys that we found? Yeah. So there was one survey. This was this was like ninety one to two thousand and one. So before these films, um, but they sur- did a survey of. Over 70 science-related films mm. um, and only found 23 female scientists across all of them, which is 31% of representation. Yeah, which see how it's mirroring the statistics in the real world. Um, and then another one which did an even bigger survey of over – or close to 400 – Films featuring scientists only found 22% of them being women scientists. So the real numbers right now, 28% in Australia. And in these surveys, we've got 31% and 22%. Yeah. So that's scarily similar. Yeah. And I think they have to change together. I think so too. Yeah. Um, I recently did a study as part of my um, science communication courses um, on women in engineering in Australia. Um, mm. Pretty harrowing statistics from that. Mm. Kind of devastating coming out from it. Yeah, engineering is even worse. Engineering is the lowest um, female-represented subject, field, discipline in Australia when it comes to STEM. Um, there's this 25-year study that I was looking at, um, and it found that uh, in Australia, over 25 years, that is substantial, Right. There has never been more than 17% of women enrolled in an engineering degree in their first year. Oh, my God. So and it, that's only people enrolling. So that's not even what happens afterwards. No, right? this is still like they're still in the pipeline. Um, it never got higher than 16.7%. So never even over 17%, never even, you know, one in five. We never got there. Okay, I take back what I said before. This is the most depressing thing I've heard. <laughs> and today, the, the really, I don't know, the thing that I take away from this is the leaky pipeline is real. There are so many opportunities for women to fall out of the gap of STEM. Yep. And this is something that we're both super mm-hmm. passionate about. We've both felt the pressures of being yeah. women in STEM. Um, you yeah. feel like you kind of have to be perfect or you shouldn't be here because there's so few of you that if mm-hmm. you're going to represent like an entire gender, you've got to do it right. Yeah, which is why those media portrayals are so important because they're part of keeping people in the pipeline. If you think about it, that's you're in your science class in school and if you had a bad day in your science class, come home, the thing that you're watching is something like Zoe 101 or Chem Possible or... Yeah, and is that going to be the thing that makes you feel better yeah. about science or worse? or worse? And how is that actually going to interplay with your your real life and decisions you make and how supported you feel? I think it's really, really important to acknowledge that media is super powerful mm-hmm. and what we see is what we get. Definitely. Um but also, yeah, to come back to, I don't know, I feel like 
and reflecting on how much I love High School Musical and how much I grew up with it, I feel like maybe a reason that I am in STEM is because of it and a reason Mm -hmm. that I feel like I can do both arts and science and I had an eight-year basketball career because of High School Musical. (laughs) Yeah, because we talked a little bit about this um, before recording this episode too and I, I never really thought that much about it but I do think a film like High School Musical was actually really important for us for us for like our career pathways yeah and our generation and that's so positive even despite that we you know we still get imposter syndrome we still feel (laughs) who me imposter syndrome what (laughs) always (laughs) you know we still feel these pressures and we've had positive media growing up yeah yeah so so it, it is getting more positive but the boundaries are still there boundaries are still there can we talk about one of the the earlier things that I brought oh, up before? The Scully yeah, effect. Yeah, the Scully effect. So that comes from this show, The X Files, and Dana Scully, who's one of the main main um, characters, protagonist. She's a protagonist. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a show mainly from the nineties. I think they did reboot it recently, but I don't know how well that's done. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> she she's a woman in STEM, works in the. FBI? Is it the FBI? I'm not sure. Anyway, she does investigations, <laughs> um, but also has a STEM background. Is she like a forensic person? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of not, I haven't watched too much of it, but it's also sort of not defined. She's just much. a vague woman in STEM. But she's a very interesting character who actually inspired a whole generation of STEM girlies before us. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, because she is the one who her partner is is more on the like ooh aliens ooh aliens <laughs> uh, side. Um, I want to believe, <laughs> and and Dana Scully is the rational one. Yeah. The woman is the rational one, and always brings it back to STEM and thinking logically and critically thinking. And that was groundbreaking. Yeah, and and a lot of the time she's right, or at least her thinking sends her on the right paths. Mm. So yeah, inspired a whole generation of women in STEM. And there's been heaps of studies and surveys on this, which found that um, moderate or heavy women X-File viewers say that Scully did influence them to study and work in STEM fields. And that um, most regular viewers say that she also increased their belief in the importance of STEM. So even if they don't go into STEM, they acknowledge how important it is. Which is crazy. This is one female character yeah. has an entire effect named after her, almost yeah. an entire generation of viewers and even just women acknowledging the impact of STEM and being able to see themselves in her Yeah, from one female character in the 90s. Mm-hmm. She, Scully could be a whole episode. <laughs> There's actually a lot to say about her. And a lot of studies on it too. Yeah. I almost did an honours project on it. I mean, <laughs> masters. <laughs> so that's like an older example. That's right? an older example, yeah. Um, but if we look into the future and also what's happening at the moment mm. in in teen media, there's been a lot of growth, even just from noughties and pre twenty tens. Yeah. So pretty much everything we spoke about in our episode today has been between 2000 2010 yeah around that but um, a lot of the ideas that we were floating around at the start were all these ones that actually kind of came like from 2012 almost onwards yeah 
And what's really interesting is we see a lot more in the engineering realm, a lot more women in yeah. engineering. I think we kind of came out of this idea of like science and maths yep. into STEM yep. in that kind of um, yeah time period. Yeah, so we got shows now like, oh, well, I don't think this one is still going, but Ant Farm. Love, all about intelligent kids or like, yeah, yeah with hyper-specific um, like genius traits or specialities, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is super cool to see. Casey Undercover. We love Zendaya. <laughs> Lab Rats. An entire show focused around STEM. Uh, Big Hero 6. Oh, my God. I love Big Hero 6. <laughs> the 100, which... I don't know how I feel about that show because I've heard (laughs) many not very good reviews about it. Oh, no. But apparently it's got girls in STEM in it. Love. Um, The 13th Doctor is a woman. Finally. (laughs) Um, Felicity from Arrow. Oh, yeah, this one that I thought of the other day, Davy in Never Have I Ever. I haven't seen it. She's she's a... um, good example too because she's she's a another competent girl trait where she's good at so many different things and one of them is stem one of them is stem amazing yeah um oh a series of unfortunate events the tv show let's talk about that because the movie from a series of unfortunate events that came out in 2004 so that's within within the naughties time frame we're looking at even if it's not um you know like teen or like yeah. quite so like school focused. No, you could say a lot of the ones you we could were. say it's teen though because yeah. I'm pretty sure um, two of the kids are teenagers. Klaus, who's the middle brother, and oh, Violet. Oh, and Violet. Yeah, Violet is the the key one. Yeah, and the movie obviously wasn't as in depth as the TV show is. Mm. Um, the new one because of time, but the character Violet, she's an engineer, right? Yep. Yeah, oh, she's got this cute little, like, sequence where every time she's going to do an experiment, ties her hair back with a bow. Which is kind of like this call to be, like, no, I'm a woman. It's yeah. It's kind of like this symbol of, like, yes, this, but also this. Yeah, which it's really interesting because Gabriella Montez also wears the bows. In her hair? Yeah, same with Katie. Like, that tying back of the hair is some some sort of woman. Trope? Yeah, symbol, symbol. It's, it's um, like, get ready for what I'm about to do. It's like, stand back and watch. Yeah, so it's it's not – I don't think it's a bad thing. No. Some people might disagree with me, but – I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> if you disagree with us, please don't let me know in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so that's TV shows, films, but also the new Barbie dolls. Oh, my God. I love Barbie. <laughs> so now we've got a Jane Goodall Barbie doll um, and a Katherine Johnson Barbie doll. Yeah, and I think that's super important because Barbie is always kind of in this space of – you can be whatever you want. Yeah. Like, you know, yes, she is a capitalist icon. <laughs> um, but also an important symbol for young girls. Yeah, like the fact that Barbie can be a painter, but she can also be a vet and a surfer. Yeah. And if she yeah. wants to do a fairy mermaid. Um, <laughs> but like that it's all possible and it's mm-hmm. kind of like all this one central character. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's super cool to see, I think, more specified stem roles within barbie right now because yep. it's acknowledged how important that is to have those role models yeah amazing it's making me excited about the future you know what's going to come afterwards yeah and i think you know the future the future kind of starts with the with the past and what you consumed growing for sure, up for sure and we we did some thinking and i reckon all of the women in, in stem in our peer group that we've gone to uni with that we went to high school with that we were all 
raised in this media. I think yeah. a lot of this is, you know, cult classics, mm-hmm. really common amongst us. And I think even if you didn't consume it, you would have known about it. And the people around you have consumed it, so you're still impacted by it. Yeah. And in a very real way, I do think this media did help us to grow and to yeah. to stay in the pipeline maybe sometimes when it got tricky or, mm-hmm. you know, when we could have considered falling out, but we were like, what would Gabriella Montez do? <laughs> she would go mm. her own way. <laughs> I want someone to count how many references we made in this podcast episode. At least two. <laughs> so I think, yeah, consciously reflecting on it now, we can see that. But I think subconsciously the impact is probably bigger than we'll ever know. Mm-hmm. And probably in a way that we'll never be able to study or to quantify. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because it's some things are more important than quantifying. Yeah. Some yeah. Behaviors are complex and pop culture. Yeah. has this really real impact. Yeah. And I think, you know, taking a step back from maybe even this specific topic, I think that's one of the reasons why this podcast idea kind of grips us both. And we really hope interests and educates and excites all of you. Yeah. Is because pop culture is highly influential as to who we are as people and what we see is what we consume and what we consume is what we see. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in so many ways that I'm not even aware of, it's shaped me. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, a lot of people have in common and mm-hmm. it's like like pop culture. Like it is... <laughs> it is pop culture. Like popular because it impacts so many people, right? Yeah. But culture being this this really real and integral thing to the way that humans are social animals that we live and we design our lives by and that we strive towards. Like there's so much to be said for it. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we try and keep science as separate to culture. Like science is fact and culture is art and expression. But the two are so tied together and they always have been. Yeah, that's so funny you mention this because the first sentence of my honors thesis is every culture has a science (laughs) are you okay (laughs) (laughs) honest trauma coming back that is a banging first sentence it's so good and I'm so proud of it I'm so proud of you that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) wow okay so we we've talked about a lot we've done episode so far we've covered a lot of um, movies, TV shows, um, deeper cultural impacts of this early noughties media um, mm-hmm. on women in STEM. I think it's really important to like take a moment and sit with the media that impacted you as, as a kid or as, you know, as a teenager growing up mm-hmm. um, and maybe thinking about some of the other impacts it's had on you that maybe you've never thought about before because we discovered so much about ourselves and our early STEM beginnings just in making this. yeah. Yeah, learnt so much more about High School Musical. Which can only be a good thing. <laughs> I now have a new appreciation for that film. That, like... Would never have existed. Yeah, that I, I didn't think I could have, but now I have it for STEM reasons as well, which is amazing. It is amazing. Oh, STEM and popular culture. Look at you go. <laughs> Hi, we're back. Welcome. <laughs> uh, so, for my individual section, mm. um, so we've talked about a lot about how important media and pop culture is for representations of young girls 
in STEM and teenagers wanting to go into STEM. Um, but I, I want to touch on how teen media in general is so important for helping teenagers feel seen, mm. which I think is like the ultimate power of teen media and, and STEM representations in one aspect of that. So we kind of only just came out of our teen years, if you think about it. It's only been a few years. <laughs> um, so very much teenagers at heart still. Yeah, so so my experiences of it are very much in my in my head still. Mm. Like they still feel kind of fresh. Um and they were very difficult years and confusing. So much is happening. A lot is happening. Um, big changes, drama. Your brain goes through and prunes half of its synaptic connections. <laughs> so you like lose a whole bunch of information you had because your brain is getting ready for adulthood. Like there is so much that you can't even see that's physically happening. Mm-hmm. Not many adults like you. Because they're like, oh, here comes the stupid teenager again, the irritating teenager again. As if teenagers can do anything about that. Yeah, and and it's – you're not a kid, but you're also not quite an adult. It's just like a really weird so and tricky time it's period. It's just a really weird time period. Oh, plus high school is a whole other thing that you have it's to like deal with at the same time. melting point of like – hormones and a time schedule that isn't set to your sleep delay onset like your body is going through so much you're going through so much you're in a really stressful time that they make everyone your age do to get this you know education this final mark you're all striving towards this thing that you're not even sure if you want half the time Mm -hmm. and so I think that films and tv shows and books and barbie dolls Mm. (laughs) um with characters of teen years and people like them set in familiar settings like school um helps teenagers feel competent yeah and not alone in what they're going through um it helps them I think it I think it helps you make sense of your emotions and validates your emotions and experiences it's really validating to see yeah, this struggle not isn't is universal, but so many people are going through it. Yeah, and I think I didn't realize it then, but reflecting on it now, I think it was very important. So yeah, like I said, STEM representations of young women is only one aspect of it, and I wanted to give a few examples that aren't STEM related. So teen teen media usually centers around. Um, some quite difficult topics yeah very real and very relevant topics yeah because it's right when the bigger topics you know can make sense to you and can start impacting you in very very real ways exactly it's it's often the first time your teen years is often the first time that you have to deal with a big conflict or challenge yeah yeah um one of those things is bullying Mean Girls, classic example of that. Mean Girls is a really good example of that. Um, peer pressure, which does come up in High School Musical with the whole stick to the status quo. Yeah, stay thing. in your box, stay in your lane. Stay in your box. Um, depression. Yeah. Particularly young men going through depression because that is something that's not talked about. Nearly enough of it should be. Yeah, um, so a really good example of that is Charlie in perks of being a wallflower which is such a brilliant book and film which is really good yeah Yeah. go go consume that media i highly recommend yeah 
Um, and more recently, I'm going to talk about Davy again. Go for it, go for it. <laughs> in Never Have I Ever, who's a high-achieving young woman, but also grieving the loss of her father. Which is a huge, huge loss for anyone of any age to go through. Yeah. But as a teenager, monumentous. Yeah. So, so very big topics that it's covering. And in summary, teen media, I think, is really important. Even though it can be sometimes cheesy and cliche, it does it does deal with some really, really crucial things to talk about that aren't talked about otherwise, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like a really good avenue and venue. Yeah. For people to be, you know, to feel seen and reflected um, and validated. Mm-hmm. Wow, thanks, Isabel. <laughs> oh, no worries. I feel like I'm going to think about this all night long, <laughs> probably when I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> in, a, in a good way, though. Um, yeah, kind of going back to ideas of we can only be what we see in the world with women in STEM and women being displayed mm-hmm. as intelligent and capable, being one of the most powerful tools we have into making real-world women feel capable and intelligent and like those spaces they can take up and areas they can flourish in um and the importance of media x-men first class (laughs) (laughs) i was like where are you going with this where i always go with this uh back to my favorite movie um x-men first class um x-men first class i think some really really interesting and also really valid criticisms of it are its portrayal of women um Mm. A lot of women in that film are portrayed as, um, you know, femme fatale or they're sexualized or they've got kind of like these classic tropes, which I don't love. Mm. I'm going to be real with you. Um, I'm not, yeah, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of it all the time. I kind of get it for the time period it's displaying. Um, But I think one of the best depictions of women they have is Moira McTaggart, who... Mm. Played by Australia's own Rose Byrne. Oh my gosh, Australian, Australian, um, <sighs> yeah, one of our trailblazers. Um, she, as kind of like a character introduction, is kind of like on this CIA stakeout, um, and she sees um, this guy that they're you know watching and want to know what he's up to. Go into this you know kind of like club where there <laughs> are some sexualized women, mm-hmm. and basically they can't track him anymore because he's gone into that thing and you know she's with her male partner and he's like oh guess we can't do a stakeout anymore and she's like (laughs) i don't think so buddy um (laughs) takes off her clothes underneath wearing a full like lingerie set and she's like i'm gonna use assets the cia didn't give me and just struts into struts in and (laughs) infiltrates the club (laughs) like yes she is sexualized acknowledging that um, but she has agency over it. Mm. And it's not something anybody asked or demanded of her because that would be mm-hmm. grossly inappropriate um, and not okay. But she's been like, this is something I want to do. I have yeah. these skills and these assets um, that nobody else does. Um, she's very much kind of like a trailblazer in her CIA group of like a, a woman who's just trying to get out there and do the best work she can. Mm-hmm. And she's going to take every moment that she mm-hmm. can and press every advantage, which... I think is super important. Um, and as much as, yeah, it's not sensational when all your depictions of women are sexualized. Um, but having it, having it come from her um, and giving agency back over makes it. Makes a like, difference. Yeah. My body, my choice almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was a really wow. good moment. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, I think is really good 
uh, yeah, a really good example of um, how capable and intelligent she is. Mm. Um, and that's something that I would, yeah, I think like to see more. And I think the more we move away from all of our images of women being sexualized or naive or in those mm. tropes, the more we can play around with these ideas of agency and have them mean more. Mm. So, yeah, that's kind of the note I wanted to end end my little personal section on. Mm. Um, but questions for the audience. Ooh, yeah. yeah. After listening to all of this, and thank you so much for listening to our third podcast episode. <laughs> um, I oh think we're gosh. super proud of this one. Yeah, I think we are. Um, and, and maybe before we go into questions for the mm-hmm. audience, I just wanted to thank our listeners for all the really nice feedback. So much had. nice feedback. <laughs> Honestly, it makes my day whenever I get someone message us or... Uh, yeah. Some of it may or may not have made us cry. Definitely made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you for listening to us and giving us feedback. And Yeah, and if you have any suggestions or ideas... Yeah, please tell us. At Sai underscore Burst on pretty much every social media. Yeah, we, we'd love to know. And I guess answers to these questions too. Feel Please feel free to comment on our Instagram or to DM us. Or yeah, I've also started adding the questions to Spotify. So you can answer through there too. Oh, can somebody try that feature so we know that it works? That'd be sick. <laughs> um, so back to questions yeah. for our audience. What, what other girls in STEM tropes have you seen? in pop culture yeah and and on that so what have you seen but what would you like to see what would you want to see yeah yeah um and what other what other early noughties um you know women in stem girls in stem representations can you think of because there were so many more that i think we didn't think of oh my gosh um and then you know we ended up putting this episode because they were but yeah. I'm sure there is a vast yeah. knowledge of pop culture out there in all of your brains. So would love to hear. Yeah, and I'm sure you have a lot to add about the media we did cover. Yeah, as well. And no, we'd love only, to hear it. We would love to hear it. We're only two brains, so yeah, would love to. Would love some more brains to come in and <laughs> help us out on this. Yeah, I guess like journey of understanding together, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so please let us know. Stay nerdy. Stay very, very nerdy, friends. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you to ANU CPAS for their support and access to their podcast studio.